Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And what I'd like to talk to you about for today's episode is simply dead for me. In Hebrews 9 verse 27, there is a basic truth stated. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. With those simple words, the certainty of death is so forcefully brought home. Since the time that Adam and Eve sinned, were cast out of the garden and lost access to the tree of life, when God said, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return, Since that time, death has been a fact of life for man. While stating it a bit differently, James made the same point in James chapter 4 and verse 14 when he wrote, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Many come to that time in their life very unwillingly, but man has no choice in the matter. Unless the Lord comes back first, we are all going to die. Whether or not that fact is true doesn't involve choice. My friends, have you ever stopped to consider that such was not the case with Jesus? He had a choice. The scriptures reveal that Jesus voluntarily came to earth, that he voluntarily assumed or took on human flesh in order that he could die. Consider Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, which tells us, Since then the children share in the flesh and blood, He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He came here to die. Yet even as the soldiers came by night to arrest him and begin the agonizing process that would culminate on the cross, he still had the choice. He still could have turned away from death, but did not. Remember how Jesus rebuked Peter for drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 and 53? Those verses tell us, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? You see, my friends, he had a choice. He could have chosen not to go through what was coming. Instead, he willingly laid down his own life. How many times have we heard the story of what happened? How many times have we shuddered at the cruelty inflicted upon him who knew no sin? How many times have we been sickened by the travesty of the justice that amounted to his trial? How many times have we been appalled at the inhumanity of the scourging 
as the cords tore the Lord's flesh. Who among us has not choked back a cry as we read of Jesus being unable to carry the cross to the site of the crucifixion? Haven't we all had tears well up in our eyes, perhaps even flinching as we picture the nails being driven into the hands and feet of Jesus, his being hoisted up and affixed to the upright as his body sagged down against the nails? It is truly heartrending to think about all that Jesus suffered in his death. I pray that we will never become callous to it. At the same time, even as our hearts ache, it is important to meditate upon the suffering, to be awestruck by the magnitude of God's love for us, epitomized by the fact that he gave his only begotten son. The awfulness of the cross draws our attention. Its story is like a magnet that attracts hearts of feeling and compassion. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus did say, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. However, if we focus only on the event itself, we will miss some of the significance of the Lord's incredible sacrifice. So I would like to take time in this episode to examine more of what the scriptures teach us about the death of Jesus. As the cross loomed before him, Jesus was conscious of the prophecies of the death that he was to die. We spoke of the Lord's rebuke of Peter earlier. Well, Jesus explained why he did not send for the legions of angels to deliver him by asking in verse 54 of Matthew 26, how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? The fact of the Lord's death, as well as many of the circumstances surrounding it, were all prophesied. It was prophesied that Jesus would be forsaken by his disciples, accused by false witnesses before whom he would remain silent, and that he would be rejected by his own people. It was prophesied that Jesus would be beaten and spit upon, that he would be crucified with thieves, his hands and his feet pierced, that he would be mocked and stared upon, and that his garments would be parted and lots cast for them. It was prophesied that not a bone of him would be broken, that his side would be pierced, and that he would be buried with the rich. It was God's purpose that Jesus be the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John chapter 1 and verse 29. This all establishes the fact that the death of Jesus was not a defeat, but rather an integral part of his purpose to save man. It is wonderful to see the early disciples come from their terror and anguish of heart over the crucifixion to a knowledge that it was God's plan. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28, where they prayed, For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. The things that were done to Jesus were done only as and when they suited the purpose of God, only at the fullness of time. Again, the prophecies concerning the death of Jesus identify that death not as a defeat, but as an essential part of eternal victory. My friends, the foundation upon which the church is built is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, as stated by Peter in Matthew chapter 16. The divinity of Jesus was declared and forever established by his resurrection. 
Romans 1 and verse 4 states, who was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. In order for there to have been a resurrection, there had to have been a death. Truly, Jesus died. It's not just a story. It is a historical fact that cannot be reasonably denied. The blood that flowed was real. The flesh that was torn was real flesh. The tears that were shed were real. The death of Jesus was certain. The absolute certainty of the death of Jesus is enhanced by the fact that he died at the hands and under the eyes of Roman soldiers who were skilled in the matter of death. Mark tells us what these soldiers did in Mark 15 verses 16 through 25. We won't read the entire passage, but we will notice what is attributed to these men. Mark tells us the soldiers took him away, dressed him up in purple, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting at him, mocked him, led him out to crucify him. They crucified him, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. Matthew gave the additional information in Matthew 27, verses 35 and 36, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots, and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. There was no relief given, no removal of the condemned from the cross before the sentence was completed, and to prevent any interference, they began to keep watch over him there. To accommodate the desire of the Jews not to have the crucified men left hanging on the Sabbath, the soldiers came to break their legs. When that was done, the crucified person could no longer push himself up to gasp for air, so death came relatively quickly by suffocation. But John chapter 19, verses 33 to 35 tells us, But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. These soldiers, experienced observers, concluded that Jesus was already dead. For further assurance, one pierced his side with a spear. Apparently the time from the beginning of the crucifixion to the death of Jesus was unusually short, so much so that the Bible tells us in Mark 15 and verse 44, And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. Now why go over all of this? Because this is not just a story. It is fact. Jesus died a horrible, excruciating death. Yet the death was necessary, and all of us had a part in making it so. We are all born innocent, but there comes a time when we become accountable and sin. When we do that, we have separated ourselves from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In this condition of separation from God, we are lost and helpless. Once we sin, 
There is nothing that we can do to correct that situation. Nothing that we can do about it from our own resources. Consequently, the death of Jesus. You see, sins are remitted by blood. That is the method God chose. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we are told, And according to the law, one may also say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Chapter 10 and verse 4 reads, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If there must be shedding of blood for the remission of sins, and the blood of bulls and goats cannot do it, then it was human blood required. A man's blood is required for his sins, but once a man sins, he is defiled, blemished, and what he would be offering back to God is not what he took. Only the blood of Jesus, the one who was out sin, without blemish, undefiled, could do the job. Looking again at Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 14 tells us, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Look also at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-20. through 20 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The condition of sinful man afraught from Jesus is hopeless, utterly hopeless. For man to be redeemed, the justice of God must be satisfied. And we have no resources in ourselves to accomplish that. How can we give back to God something that is defiled? But gloriously and wondrously, Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though the wages of sin is death, Yet the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. So if we were going to have hope, Jesus had to do what he did. We often hear that Jesus died a vicarious death, and he did. What that means is that his death was substitutionary. In other words, he died in the place of others. What it amounts to is that the penalty I should have paid for my sins, Jesus paid on the cross. This is true of me and my sins, of you and your sins, and all others men and women have suffered and committed. We must not let this just lightly pass us by. What we should have suffered, Jesus did suffer. Let us truly think about the meaning of the following verses. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 we read, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we are told, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. 
Moving over two chapters to chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And let us not forget 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. As we seek to consider and appreciate the death of Jesus, we cannot view it merely in the terms of the suffering of physical death that is common to all men. We must recognize that by far the greater degree of our Lord's suffering was being experienced in that he gave himself for our sins. Jesus accepted it. When they offered him wine to drink mingled with gall before nailing him to the cross, a drink with a certain numbing effect, he turned it down. There would be no sedative to lighten his load. He would have a clear mind as he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Darkness covered the land from noon till three. Jesus hung in anguish of flesh and infinitely more in anguish of spirit, suffering for sin in our behalf. As the end approached, Jesus cried out with a loud voice found in Matthew chapter 27 verse 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The full import of that statement made by the Lord at that time is beyond my ability to fully understand, but this I know. In the face of our helplessness, Jesus died for our sins. How can anyone walk away from that without being touched, without being moved to embrace and obey him. He gives careful consideration to these things.